All right, it is so good to be with you, Eastview family, to worship together. I hope if you're watching us online that you just caught a little bit of the spirit that's moving in this place today. It might be cold outside, but it's warm in here. Eastview family, it's so great to be with you. If you're watching online, glad you're joining us today. Maybe it's too cold to get out. Maybe it's too dangerous for you. K-Mac from Washington, how's it going? Penny from Normal, Nate in Lincoln, and Chuck in Austin, Texas. God bless you all. Uh, guys, I was out of town last week. I had to join online. I was able to worship online with you guys. It was so cold. I went to Arizona to see my kids, and some days it only got up to 60 degrees. It was really, really terrible. I know you guys are sympathetic to that, but uh, the truth is I'm excited to be back with you because I believe that God, you maybe don't know this, maybe you don't know that God is doing an amazing, life-changing, kingdom-changing thing in the people of Eastview Christian Church. And I want to celebrate that with you. And again, I want to remind you that we don't think we're the best church or the only church. There are millions of great churches, and they're all over the world, and they're even in this town But we just want to celebrate what God's doing here because God is doing some amazing things. I just want to throw a couple of things out there. Over 12,000 people joined us for our Christmas weekend services. And what an amazing time of celebrating God and being uh, able to share the miracle of Israel with you guys. We averaged over 7,200 people last year. Every weekend, 7,200 people said, yes, I'll come to Eastview Christian Church. I'll be a part of what God's doing. Just think of that as two Leroy's, two Leroy, Illinois. Don't think of us as a big church. We're not a big church. We're just a small town. That's all we are. But God is doing great things. We had 210 baptisms last year, people that gave their life to faith in Christ, and we were able to celebrate that. And then I want to to share with you guys something amazing, because you know we were praying for a miracle most of the month of December and asking God to give us a million dollars for helping people in Haiti and India and El Salvador and in Africa and plant a church in South Florida. I want to share that total with you today, guys. It's amazing because God used us to do this. Here's the total from our expanding ministry offering so far, $915,450. That's amazing. It's like, uh, people are like, are you disappointed you didn't get a million? I'm like, I'll get over it. It's okay, $915,000. This is above and beyond everything that we gave all last year for this, the ministry of Eastview to continue. This is expanding ministry in an amazing way. We'll share the stories with you as we continue. By the way, if you haven't had a chance to give to it, you get one more chance this week. That's it. Okay, then we're going to cut it off and start doing 2022 stuff because we got 2022 stuff we got to do. But uh, that's the offering. I want to celebrate that with you guys today. Well, as we come to Mark chapter 9, if you have your Bibles here at home, grab your Bibles, open them up. Make sure you're making sure that I'm saying the right things, the Word of God. Mark chapter 9, verse 2 is where we're going to start today. But before we get there, I want to ask you this question, and you can answer it. You can even answer it out loud. This will be the only time during the sermon you can talk. Unless you're saying amen or preach it or something like that, right? Uh, If you could meet anyone in the Bible, anybody, from all the Bible characters that you know, you could spend just a few minutes with them, who would you like to meet? You can't say Jesus. We know we're all in church. That's the easy answer. We all want to meet Jesus for sure. But who would you like to talk to? Adam? Eve? Ask them what paradise was like. Ask Eve why she listened to a snake talking to her. King David? Deborah, the great judge of Israel, I think one of the greatest women leaders in the Bible. Uh, Ruth, the outsider who became an insider. Peter, Paul, Mary. If you're old, if you're old, you get that. If you're young, it doesn't mean anything to you. It means nothing. (laughs) But I entertain myself. I'm here to entertain you sometimes, me mostly. Uh, Maybe you'd like to meet the evangelism team of uh, Priscilla and Aquila. 
who seems to be led by Priscilla, the wife. Maybe you want to spend some time with Mary Magdalene and go, Mary, you were the first one to the tomb on resurrection day. What was that like? I mean, Barnabas, Timothy, Titus, have I left anybody out? Anybody else that you guys would just shout out a name that you, huh? Enoch, right, for sure. Huh? Solomon, Noah, Joseph. Nobody, nobody's saying Mahershala Hashbaz because he's in the Bible. Nobody wants to be like him. Okay, that's fine. Listen, we could go on and on. And even if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, maybe you're watching online or you're visiting today for the first time, you're going, I don't know. I don't know a whole lot of Bible characters. You know Noah. You might want to talk to him about that floating zoo that he ran. You know Jonah. You've heard the story about this guy that was swallowed by a big fish. Well, today, if you could go back 2,000 years and say to Peter, James, and John, who would you like to meet from the Old Testament? They might mention the two guys that they met on the mountain with Jesus. Let's go there and let's, uh, let's observe with them. Let's meet these Old Testament characters together. Mark chapter 9, verse 2. So where we're going to be. We'll stop at verse 8. Here we go. The word of the Lord. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, and he led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out from the cloud, This is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly, looking around... They no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. Let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to us today through his holy word. God, would you just do what you can do, what you've done millions of times, billions of times perhaps, when the word is preached, your spirit moves, people's lives are changed. And we came to church today because we want to have changed lives. We've sung about you and sung about your son and all these things are true. Celebrated his body and blood. But Lord, we just need to be encouraged again in this word today. So would you speak to old Christians that have been walking with you for a long time, remind us again. And newer Christians, encourage them in the early walk. And if there's someone here watching online or present that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, may they find you in this message today, this truth from your word in Jesus Christ. God, I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit and Jesus' resurrection, in his name, amen. Amen. Well, okay, I'm just going to do a spoiler alert. So if you're watching online, you would turn this off and then just fast forward to the end of the sermon. Uh, no, here, here's the spoiler alert. The whole sermon can be summed up in the last two words of this, these verses I just read. Here's, here's the whole sermon, everything about it. Jesus only. That's the sermon. And some of your versions uh, that you're reading, the, the English versions, they translated Jesus alone. And, and really, if you can grasp that reality... If you can love it and live it and believe in your heart that all you need is Jesus Christ, then you don't need this sermon. But if you're like me and Peter and some of the other disciples I know, you might need to stay tuned because we often fail by thinking that we need something else, that Jesus is not really truly enough when it comes right down to it. So let's just study this together. What does it mean, Jesus only? He's the only one left. Well, let's just start with this. Jesus only is the one we've been waiting for. Jesus is the one that we've been waiting for. We might think it's someone else, but he's the only one. 
Peter, James, and John are center in the story. And by the way, it's, it's not weird that they have been called his inner circle. Why Peter, James, and John? Why did Jesus, Jesus, I know, Jesus of Nazareth, that's where you buy your gifts at Christmas. Anyway, uh, cheese, not Jesus, 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 I'm having trouble now. Now, now I've, I've gotten in my mind, and that's a scary place to be. Jesus um, chose Peter, James, and John to be his inner kind of leadership guys. Why did he choose them over the other nine? Because there were 12 total. Why did he choose these guys? Maybe he saw more potential in them. Maybe he was doing something in him that he wanted to do specifically. But he wanted to make sure that these three, when he went to heaven, that these three could carry on the distinct messages of the Christian faith. So you remember in Mark 5 that he calls these three into the room to see Jairus' daughter raised from dead to life. He wanted these three to cement in their mind resurrection. And he, he speaks to these three, Mark 13, along with Peter's brother Andrew. Uh, you know how brothers are. They just kind of tag along sometimes. But uh, on the mountain, explaining to them the signs of the end time in Mark 13. And then in Mark 14, he actually took these three with him into the garden to pray. So Peter, James, and John here in verse 2 are the people that he leads to a high mountain. He's trying to show them something. Now, I want to show you a picture of where we believe that this whole thing took place because I like to see things in my mind and go, where was this mountain? It just says here, it's a high mountain. So we don't really know what it is. Um, some people have guessed Mount Tabor, but that's south in Galilee, and they've been north in uh, north of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, uh, and, and, and so this probably, this is the most northern place in Israel that you can go. In fact, today, much of this is in Syria, Lebanon, all that kind of stuff up there. This is, this is Mount Hermon. And it's always, if you're guessing, it's always covered with snow. And I've had a chance to see this live, and it's really a spectacular mountain range. If you're wondering where it compares, 9,200 feet above sea level, which is considerably smaller than like Pikes Peak and those 14,000 uh, foot peaks. But this is the highest mountain in Israel where I believe, and a lot of scholars, don't take my word for it, a lot of scholars believe this is where Jesus took Peter and James and John. Now there's two other characters that they meet here, and this is where I, I led into that question. It's like, who would you like to meet from the Old Testament? Elijah and Moses show up. Now, I'm not sure that these, these three were expecting to see these guys or anything. I don't know what they expected when Jesus called them up the mountain. And I don't want to make too much about these guys because remember, what's the, what's the point of the sermon? Jesus only. That's the whole point. But I do want to mention Elijah and Moses because they're there for a reason. There's a couple of questions that pop into your mind when you start reading this. The first question is like, how did they know it was Moses and Elijah? Well, I think because of name tags. That's my theological guess. <laughs> But if they didn't have name tags, maybe Moses always carries stone tablets around. I don't know. Maybe Elijah was dressed like he was in the Old Testament. I'm not sure. Maybe some scholars believe because once you leave the earth, you have a, a knowledge that's spiritual and eternal of all things. You're like, oh, there's Moses. There's Elijah. I'll talk about that more in just a moment. But the reality is, is that they knew who they were. And I also want to ask this question when I was studying for this. I like, bet a lot of people go, well, I wonder what they were talking about. See that in verse 4? It says, they were talking with Jesus. Oh, man, I wish I could get in on that conversation. What were they talking about? Moses, I haven't seen you in 1,500 years. You look great, <laughs> right? Man, it seems like we're always on these mountains when cool things happen because Moses spent time on the mountain getting the law. Elijah spent 40 days on the mountain hearing the word from the Lord and his marching orders forward. Here's the deal. We don't know the answer to these questions, how they knew him, 
or how they knew them or what they were talking about. But we do know that in the first century Jewish mind, Moses and Elijah were about as important as it gets. Of course, Moses, for sure, he's the great lawgiver. You understand this. He's the one who gave the law. And so they held him in high esteem. Even in Jesus' time, 1,500 years after Moses, they kept the law of Moses. They memorized the mall of Moses, uh, the mall of Moses or the law of Moses. They, man, I, my lips are cold today. Uh, they, they, they taught it. They lived it. That's their standard for being Jewish people, the law of Moses. Elijah, on the other hand, while he didn't write any of the books of prophecy of the Old Testament, he was the leading prophet in Israel. He actually had a school for prophets during his time. He's the one that went on Mount Carmel and defeated all the prophets of Baal. So you have these two guys, Moses, the law, Elijah, the prophet. Some people accurately see this. This is good theology. Jesus, the fulfillment of the law and the prophets is hanging out with the lawgiver and the, the main prophet from the Old Testament. I don't know exactly what Jesus was trying to express to them, but I think bigger than that, Jesus was trying to say, hey, these guys that you know that you'd like to meet from the Old Testament, they pointed to me. Deuteronomy 18, Moses actually writes these words. You can look at this scripture later. I'm not going to show it to you. Please follow up and make sure I'm not telling you something that's not there. Look up that scripture in Deuteronomy 18 in your notes, but it says that God's going to raise up another prophet like Moses and that God's people were supposed to listen to him. And then there's this at the very end of the Old Testament. I just got to set this history for you because this is fascinating to me. The very last word in the Old Testament was from the prophet Malachi, the Italian prophet Malachi, I like to say sometimes. Malachi in chapter four, he prophesies and then there is nothing from God for 400 years. We don't hear from him. There are no prophecies. Of course, God was there. People were praying. He was in their lives. There was faith but we don't have an official word of God for 400 years. Let me show you this passage from Malachi. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and the rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all of Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Now listen, we're slow as disciples sometimes. Peter, James, and John might have been slow to understand who Jesus was. As Tyler preached last week, they didn't understand he had to die. But even I could put two and two together. Malachi said this, the last prophet we know, 400 years later, I'm on a mountain with Moses and Elijah, and they're all talking with Jesus. Ding, 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 ding. He's the one. He's the one that God has pointed to that's going to be the deliverer and the Messiah and the one that we should follow. Guys, listen, I believe that this world needs to be reminded again. We as Christians, and maybe if you're not following Jesus yet, you need to be reminded again, Jesus only is the one that we're waiting for. He only, I know it's been way beyond 400 years since Jesus, there's been 2,000 years, but he's still the only thing that this whole world is waiting for as we eavesdrop on our ancient brothers and sisters, our brothers today, and how they realize this about Jesus. Let us remind ourselves that you and I and this whole world are waiting for Jesus. How do I know? Because we're waiting for the stuff that only Jesus does. We've been waiting our whole lives for someone who will give themselves to us un unselfishly. Only Jesus does that. We've been waiting for someone to love us unconditionally. And only Jesus does that. We've been waiting for someone to forgive us undeservedly. 
And only Jesus does that. We have been waiting for someone to commit to us unwaveringly. Only Jesus does that. We've been waiting for somebody to really make us matter and to live and to have hope and have purpose in life. And only Jesus does that. Listen, Jesus is the only one that loves you as you are, will make you better if you follow him, will give you hope of eternal life, will put his spirit inside of you. He, he uh, has forgiven you. He will not break up with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Come on, somebody. Jesus is only the one that can do that. And we mistake it. Sometimes we mistake the stuff of this world and go, oh, I can find this over there. I can find love and purpose and mean. No, you can't. It's only Jesus. Peter, James, and John, look. Moses and Elijah pointed to the only one. He's the one you've been waiting for. And they got that message pretty clear, I would imagine. And that leads to the second message that I think that we can learn from the mountain experience today. Jesus only is the one worthy of worship. So this gets to the crux of the matter because of what Peter suggests, which we'll get to in just a moment. There's this amazing thing that happens. I'll take you back to verse three. Jesus was transfigured. He was transfigured before them. Now that's not a word that you use all the time. And we're not sure exactly how this happened. We're not sure if Jesus was just walking along and all of a sudden was like, Jesus looks different. Or if he stood back and said, y'all, this is getting ready to get crazy God stuff going on here. So just stand back. I don't know what's getting ready to happen. I don't know if he warned them. I don't know if he talked about what was getting ready to happen. But whatever the case, at some point, we're told in verse 3 that Jesus, verse 2, that he was transfigured before them. You'll know the word when I tell you the Greek word. The Greek word is metamorphothe. It's the word we get metamorphosis from. Jesus changed shape and image and reality. You guys, you, you, you know, you paid attention long enough in science to get this right. A caterpillar becomes a butterfly, a mighty morphin power ranger. I'm speaking your language now, right? This is metamorphosis. Jesus was Jesus in the flesh, the guy who walks on water, does miracles. He's known to fish pretty well. And all of a sudden, he's God. They, they see the godness of Jesus in his true reality, his true form. And Jesus in God form is glorious, Look at this description that Mark is giving us, probably from Peter himself as an eyewitness. His clothes become radiant, intensely white as no one on earth. The word no one there is really a, a term that talks about people that deal in cloth in the first century. A person who's an expert in cloth dyeing and cleaning cannot get it this white. In other words, he was so incredibly shiny. This is the word, that, the radiant there means shiny. Uh, in, in Matthew 17, he adds that Jesus' face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. Luke says that his appearance of his face was altered. Man, guys, this was a freaky explosion of God, power, and glory instantaneously on this mountain. Uh, it, it's, at some point, all they should have done is just bowed down and worshiped him. I just want to give a note here this, that, it, that people ask us sometimes why we have so many lights and stuff on stage and why we do what we do tech-wise here. We don't need these, these lights to worship Jesus, of course, but we like to engage all the senses. When you worship God, it's, it's a sensory experience. If you don't believe that, just read Revelation. It's a sensory experience. When you get to heaven, if you don't like these lights, you better buy some sunglasses on the way because it is good. People can't, the angels still can't look at Jesus. When he's, when he's walking around heaven in his, in his form. 
So the reality is, is that we try to recreate that and we don't do it exactly. We're not trying to go, this is the glory of God. But I love it sometimes when we're singing and there's a glory of God thing and these guys light the place up. It's like, yes, God is real. It's spectacular what these guys uh, get to see. And they were terrified. The Bible tells us they were terrified. And this is not the sermon, but it's free stuff for you. Just as you're doing your social media and having all the conversations about COVID and masks and quarantines and politics and your favorite ball teams, all of this, sometimes when you're quiet or when you're terrified and you don't know what to say, it's okay not to say anything. This is where Peter messes up. This is where I often mess up if I would be honest with you. Peter should have just said, James, John, let's fall on our faces and worship. We're in the presence of God. But Peter just had to say something. <laughs> so we're told that he didn't know what to say. So he, he just blurts out the first thing that comes to his mind. He, he goes all Instagram selfie and suggests that they build three tents, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for Jesus. The word tents here is significant. We'll get to that in just a moment. It's the word for tabernacle. It's the word, Greek word skene which is interpreted to be tent or tabernacle. Remember, God lived in a tent in the Old Testament. So maybe when Peter saw Moses, he goes, oh, I get, I've seen this story before. Let's build a big tent where God can be worshiped and God's presence can be with us. And Peter's not the only Christ follower who thinks this way, unfortunately. He's saying Moses is here, pretty spiritual. Elijah's here, pretty spiritual. Jesus is here, pretty spiritual. This is a literal mountaintop experience. Let's worship all three of them. Let's venerate all three of them. Let's make them all the, the special people that they are. And Peter, like I've said before, is a lot like us because we as Christ followers, this series, by the way, is called Failing Fearlessly because we know that as Christ followers, sometimes we fail. And this statement of Peter's reveals a common follower fail of ours. Okay? We often are tempted to worship, listen, Jesus and. We, we want to worship Jesus and. Remember, anything, here's what worship is. Worship is not necessarily coming here and raising your hands and clapping and singing songs. Worship is anything you get excited about, you talk about all the time, you spend money, time, or energy on all the time, you can't get it out of your mind. That's worship. Some of you guys worship sports teams. Some of you guys worship relationships. In fact, let's just look at some of the tents that we've set up. Here's the question for you today. What tents have you set up on your mountain with Jesus? Because we, we love Jesus. We've said that today. But sometimes we want to sneak Jesus and some of us, if you're like me, have set up tents for success. We want to succeed in business, in athletics, in school. We want to succeed in everything we set our minds to. And we if we're honest, we kind of believe that if we have Jesus, we will have success too. Jesus and success. That's what we're shooting for. Some of us are tempted to set up the tent of relationships. Our single brothers and sisters here today are watching online. You're going, I want Jesus and a date would be nice. And a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Maybe you're just lonely. You go, I want Jesus and a friend. Maybe you're here today and you've got kids and man, I was just out with my grandkids. It's exhausting. I'm so glad I'm not a parent right now because at age 56, it just wears you out, right? But you know how it is. If you're a parent right now, if you've got kids, you're running around, you're chasing them everywhere, going to everything. Some of you have made your kids a tent. It's Jesus and my kids. 
Most of us have pitched a tent of ease and comfort. Our creature comforts become a God to us. If two years of COVID has taught us anything, we're not very good at uncomfortable. What? They're out of toilet paper. You got six months supply in your house, but they're not. This, we're going to the stores now. Gas prices are rising. We're trying to find stuff. We're not good at doing stuff we don't like and it's uncomfortable for us. So we build tents, Jesus and the tent of short lines, Jesus and disposable income, Jesus and a comfortable uh, retirement, Jesus and praise God, heated steering wheels <laughs> in this weather. See, we've worked really hard at being comfortable, and there's nothing in this scripture that tells us when we follow Jesus Christ, it's going to be comfortable and easy. Nothing. I dare you to find it. But we want Jesus and comfort. In fact, some people even preach this health and wealth gospels. Uh, gospel is preached everywhere in lots of churches throughout the country. If you follow Jesus, you will be healthy and wealthy. This is totally not the case. Most of the Christians that I've met worldwide that are not people around here are not healthy and not wealthy, and they love Jesus better than I do. They're walking with him. They trust him in a different way. They don't have Jesus and because they can't afford and. It's just Jesus. Another tent we're tempted to set up is to worship a spiritual leader or a mentor or even your pastor And while it's really, really interesting and cool that they get to meet Moses and Elijah, they're not the point. And we can sometimes get caught up in maybe your small group leader, maybe it's your pastor, maybe it's somebody you watch online, and when they write a book or when they say something from the Scripture, you're like, that's the gospel. And I'm going to warn you again and tell you again, do not ever take everything I say at pure face value. Check me all the time, because this is the Word of God. This is the Word of Mike. Sometimes... They don't come out as smoothly, okay? I will never try to deceive you. I work hard at preaching the gospel of God to you through Jesus Christ. But listen, I'm not Jesus. Don't set me on a pedestal. Don't set your small group leaders or other Christian leaders in your lives on a pedestal. They're just people like Elijah and Moses. Listen, I want to say something about these tents that we have a tendency to set up. None of them are wrong per se. It wouldn't have been wrong for Peter to go, Jesus, we worship you, but can I get Elijah and Moses autograph first? It wouldn't be weird to say, oh, that's cool. I honor that God used them. That's not bad. And some of these other things that I've mentioned, they're not wrong per se, but they are not worthy of worship. Hear that. Only Jesus is worthy of worship. He's the only one. Jesus alone. Jesus only. And Jesus is calling us to make him the Lord of our lives alone. Listen, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ today, just let me say this word to you. Uh, Everything that you're looking for and everything you want from this life, you've set up a bunch of tents, success and, and friendships and, 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 and you know, moving forward and, and comfort and all these people that I, guys, tear down all those tents. Just put Jesus in the middle of your life. If you're not a follower of Jesus today, set up the tent of Jesus and everything else will, be, will fall into place as the, as the word says. Seek first the kingdom of God. Listen, Peter did have one part right here with his word tent. Because he pointed to the fact that the tent and the tabernacle of the desert was God dwelling with men. And you guys know this, if you're old scholars, just pretend like this is new aha stuff to you. But if you're not, let me remind you or let me tell you for the first time. The word became flesh and dwelt 
among us, and we have seen his glory, the glories of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is skene. That is the word for tabernacle, dwelt. Jesus came and tabernacled in our midst. Jesus doesn't need someone to build him a tent. He is the tent. He is the tabernacle. He is the presence of God in our lives today. You don't need other tents. All you need, what? Jesus only. That's what you need. And that's why God sent his son to do this for us. Finally, Jesus only, the one we listen to. He's the only one we listen to. This is a pretty big statement. Because if he is God, the one we've been waiting for, he's the only one worthy of our worship, then he's the only one who we should listen to. And God the Father gives testimony to this. Look again in verse 7. A cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. The transfiguration was communicated to Peter, James, and John in a way that they can never forget. A cloud. Now, that may not mean a whole lot to me and you. We see clouds, we say it's going to rain, or it looks like it might snow today. But the cloud in the Old Testament always represented the overwhelming presence of God. Again, references there for you in your notes. If you're at home uh, keeping score, where are we at in the sermon? Check those notes out. Because if you go to Exodus chapter 40, you'll find that when Moses set up the tabernacle, the tent, God's presence through a cloud filled the tabernacle so that the priest could not even enter it. He's like, just a moment here. I want to show you the power of my presence. And a cloud descended. Same thing happened in 2 Kings 8. And again, look at it again. When Solomon finished building the temple where God was going to live in Jerusalem, a cloud filled the temple, the presence of God made himself known through this cloud. So when a cloud covers the mountain, again, even three slow guys like me, Peter, James, and John could go, hey, a cloud, mountain, Jesus looks like God. This might be something. This might be a God moment. A cloud descended and a voice speaks. This voice, I imagine in a dramatic bass voice fashion because that's how God, we're just gonna be disappointed we get to heaven. It's like, hey guys, how's it going? I, I really want him to have a deep, bass voice. Wouldn't that be weird? Like, hey guys, I created everything. Okay, great. I don't know where that comes from. Just pray for your pastor. That's what you need to do. But his voice, booming or otherwise, says these words, this is my son. Listen to him. Now, he's already made this testimony about Jesus being his son. Remember, we studied earlier, Jesus was baptized when he came up out of the water. This is my beloved son. I'm well pleased. Once again, Peter, James, and John get to hear the voice of God in this special occasion saying, listen, this is my son. So you can listen to Moses because his laws are good. You can listen to Elijah because he was a faithful prophet. But don't listen to them. Listen to Jesus. He's the one you listen to. This is my living word. He is my word in human flesh. We've noted this before, but it bears reminding there are so many voices vying for our attention in this world today, guys. And I just want to ask you this question. What voice might be drowning out the voice of Jesus? Like, I, I believe you should read Christian, Christian books and Christian material. In fact, I made a, uh, you know, a resolution this year to read more Christian books and, and books that will help me be a better pastor and follower of Jesus Christ. But here's my caveat. Never more than I read the Bible. I'm not going to read three scriptures and then read a 280-page book. 
I want to keep that in balance because no matter what the great author or authoresses say, it doesn't matter. What I want to hear is, is authoress a word? I want to hear what Jesus says. I want to hear from him. Some of the voices we listen to, frankly, are not worth hearing at all. If they listened to Moses and Elijah, they would have just found out Jesus because they pointed to Jesus. Are, Are the voices that you listen to pointing you to Jesus or are they dragging you away? Guys, here's the amazing thing. 33 years after this mountaintop experience, Peter can't get it out of his mind. Remember, we've said that the book of Mark was probably written with Peter helping Mark going, hey, and then this happened. And Mark's writing it down. Second Peter and first Peter were likely written by Mark on Peter's behalf. They were partners in ministry. And 33 years after this mountaintop experience, in second Peter, (laughs) Peter says, listen, I just want to assure people that the gospel we're preaching, the truth that we're teaching about Jesus Christ, that we've seen this with our own eyes. This is not made up stuff. Write this down, Mark. And so Mark grabs a quill and pen and for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses of this majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Look, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain. Not long after this, Peter would be killed by Nero, the Caesar. Often after a loved one has died, we comfort one another by assuring each other that we'll get to see them in heaven. I've preached this in sermons and funerals and talked about how we get to see people that have passed on this great cloud of witnesses that have gone before us. And people have asked me a lot of times, they're like, Pastor, I know you said that in the funeral sermon, but is it true? Will I get to see grandpa? Will I get to see my loved one who passed away, my brother or sister, my good friend? And, uh, and I sometimes point to this scripture to say, I think that's biblically right. I think someday that like Peter and James and John went, oh, there's Elijah, there's Moses. I think someday I'm going to see my dad again. I think someday I'm going to see my father and mother-in-law again. I'm going to see some friends that have died. I might even recognize some of my Bible heroes. Oh, there's so-and-so. But here's the deal. As cool as that sounds now, none of that will be your focus. You're going to be astounded that when you identify Moses and Elijah and your grandpa and your loved one that's passed on, how they're not paying attention to you. Then it's not going to be cold. It's going to be this warm, better than ever feeling you've ever had in your life as we all focus on one. Because I want to see my dad again, but in the end, it's going to be just like this mountain. Everything I need and everything I desire is the one sitting on the throne. I don't need or want anything else. Jesus will be enough. Jesus by himself. Christ alone. Jesus only. Amen.